the kind of responsibility that I think that we all feel, so not just employees of the league, but also you know the players, um, the coaching staff, everyone. We all understand that it's more than the game, and that's something that's really special, and yeah. you know gives you meaning to keep coming back. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? If you're a basketball fan and a Canadian, few experiences will ever be able to match what happened in the summer of 2019. In the best of seven playoff series, the Toronto Raptors, Canada's only basketball team, went on to defeat two-time defending and six-time NBA championship winners, the Golden State Warriors. It was a season of many firsts, including the first championship win for the Toronto Raptors, as well as the first win by any NBA team based outside of the States. It was also a barometer of basketball's growing influence within Canada's sports culture ecosystem, historically dominated by hockey. Much of that influence can be attributed to the efforts made on the ground and from the offices of NBA Canada, led by Managing Director and today's guest, Leah McNabb. The first woman in the Managing Director position in Canada, Leah's responsibilities are no small undertaking. Since joining in 2019, she has overseen the development and growth of the league's business in Canada, including television and digital media, marketing and retail partnerships, licensing, special events, and basketball development. Under her leadership and tenure, the league's revenue and marketable database in Canada have grown significantly. In the third installment of our Mission Critical Live podcast series, I was joined by Leah in front of an intimate audience of entrepreneurs and leaders at Toronto's Clio Social Club to talk about advocating for yourself, what responsibilities an organization like NBA Canada has to its community, and the ways in which the league is leveraging technology to drive a more streamlined fan experience. Enjoy. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for making your way out tonight. I know it is a little nasty outside, so really appreciate everyone making the time. Uh, we have a fun conversation ahead, and um, it's an, it's our third installment of the Mission Critical Live series. It's our podcast that focuses on entrepreneurship, mission, purpose, leadership, and we've recently started doing live versions now that we can all interact with each other. So thank you so much for, for joining us here at the wonderful Clio. Great venue, love it, beautiful, and a great space for us to be able to have these conversations. Before I get started, I'd like to thank just our sponsor, uh, Nature's Bounty Melatonin Gummies. Uh, great if you're looking to get a better sleep. I tried it last time, wonderful. Uh, so please make sure to visit them on your way out. And yeah, today we have a very, very special guest joining us. Please welcome NBA Managing Director, Leah McNabb. <laughs> Leah, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Good. I'm so glad that we're able to have this chat. Thank you so much for coming. I know you have a, a very busy schedule in general, but also this week is a big one for you as well. 
We're excited to tip off our first preseason game on Sunday in Edmonton. So yeah, we're, we're getting ready for it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, things are wrapping up. So I guess to get started, I'm, I'm curious, when you're the managing director of an organization like NBA Canada, what does a typical day, if there is a typical day, look like? You know, What's an example of something that crosses your desk on any given day? So I like to say my job is sort of air traffic control. I'm there to kind of make sure people are, are landing the planes on the right runways, uh, also removing all of the obstacles that kind of pop up. So it, my typical day involves a lot of internal calls. They often start at 8 in the morning because I'm on a global leadership team, so it's the only time that the whole world is awake. Usually not me, but now me. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing I would change if I could about my life is start later. <laughs> but anyway, um, I do things like this. So, you know, talk about not just my career, but our business and, you know, where it's going, which I, which I love. Um, I have lots of partner meetings. So whether that's a pitch a negotiation, you know, kind of just trying to drive the business forward. And so there is no day that is totally typical, but I love the variety of it and how, you know, no day feels the same. Um, that's part of the allure of the job. Yeah, I can imagine that when you're even working at NBA Canada as an organization, that no day is the same. Every day keeps you on your feet and on mm. your toes, and you're doing it, navigating different hurdles or or different opportunities on any given day, which makes it super exciting. Yeah. Um, so your LinkedIn profile says that you've been with the organization since 2005. Looking yep. back, what have been some of the biggest ways in which NBA Canada and the culture of basketball have evolved since you joined? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, it's funny. The culture of basketball has always been something that's been attractive to me. In part, you know, I think as a, as a child, I would have kind of immediately associated it with like the street cred of the apparel. Um, <laughs> I remember stealing my older brother's uh, Bulls starter jacket when I was like in the fourth grade and, and everyone was like, cool jacket. And that, <laughs> that, you know, kind of was like, ooh, yeah. But over our time, my time at the NBA, so over 17 years now, we really have focused a lot on employee culture in a way that didn't exist when I started. So when I started, it was kind of maybe, I don't want to say a tougher place to work, but but likely a tougher place to work. People were a little bit hard on each other. You had to prove yourself um, mm. to kind of get going. Um, mm. Now I think we're a lot more inclusive. We're a lot more um, understanding and we actually take time to train people, which, you know, crazy thought, but should happen. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's a really wonderful place to work and it's a place I'm, I'm proud to spend time because I do feel like I get to live my values every day at work. And, I, and I, that is definitely something that I want to expand on in the conversation as a major theme. But did you always know that you wanted to work in in basketball, in sports management, in, in leadership? Uh, is that something that you knew from and had kind of like a linear path from when you were growing up? No. <laughs> so I wanted to work like in the West Wing. I liked that TV show and I thought I'd work in politics. So I did do that for a very short period of time. Realized that sometimes the thing you think you want isn't really the thing you want. Yes. I had a short stint in film. I love film. I kind of wish I maybe some days could have made that work, but I was like the one kid that didn't fit in there. And so after basically failing a bunch of times, I ended up meeting the marketing manager, I think, or director of marketing at the time at a Toronto International Film Festival event. Mm. And I 
Still don't know what really possessed me to do this, but I immediately pitched myself and I said, you know, I'd be perfect to work for the NBA. You know, it's a fantastic brand. I love your commissioner. Like I went on this big, long thing and it happened that he was hiring a, a like entry level job. So I pitched myself hard and I got his card and I applied. I didn't even know what the job was and I had already applied. So he sent me the job description the next day and I realized I had none of the qualifications for the job, but I was like, meh, what I have to lose? I'm just gonna keep trying. He was not calling me back. So I called him and every day for like two weeks until he agreed to at least have me in for an interview. And so that's how I got my foot in the door. I love that because, you know, <laughs> even if on paper it looks like you're not qualified, there are ways that you can champion yourself and get yourself in front of someone to really talk about you know, either the soft skills or the leadership skills or whatever it is that makes you the right fit for what someone is hiring for or is looking for. How did you really pitch yourself when you saw that the qualifications were not necessarily lined up? So I knew it was an entry level job. So I kind of felt like, you know, the fact that I'd never worked at a sports agency or I didn't hadn't worked for a franchise didn't really matter. I they had listed all the skills they were looking for. And I had examples of times I could demonstrate all of those skills. So I really went skills based examples. I prepped really hard, really, really hard for the interview. Like I, I learned the starting lineup of every single team. I learned the coaching staff. I like memorized things that were completely unnecessary, but I didn't know what they were gonna ask me. So I went way beyond the prep that would be required. And one of the things that they said to me after the interview process was that they felt like I interviewed them as much as they <laughs> interviewed me. And cause I really wanted it to fit. I wanted it to be a place I, I felt like I could, you know, have an impact. And the two jobs I'd had up until then hadn't felt that way. And that's what I wanted. I mean, you get one life. Yeah, yeah. And so you had some um, experience in film, in politics. What did you draw from those experiences that maybe made you more of a unique fit for this role and, and your role career in the NBA? So I had a, this was a really interesting role at the NBA. So at the time, it was a three-person office and I was going to be the third employee at the NBA in Canada. And the job was essentially um, account management for sponsors. And then the other half of the job was market like merchandising so you had to have a bit of a creative eye you had to be able to attention to detail pay attention to both contracts but also the artwork that you would get to make sure that it fit all of our logo standards and i think they were having a hard time finding a candidate that could do both things because all of their candidates were already in the space and so had already specialized or had already you know kind of developed clear skills and i had sort of developed a bunch of skills that really didn't fit any lane and that was what was good and I think that that's what young people should do in some ways. You know, I don't know that many young people that know exactly what they want to do for the rest of their lives when they're like 16, 17 years old. And mm. so some element of experimentation is really great. And um, through my career, as I've gotten older and, you know, I've asked for opportunities to be able to drive that kind of experimentation or I've taken them in, you know, industry associations and volunteer work that is unrelated to my day job so that you kind of keep having that learning experience because, I think that in itself is really rewarding. And I guess in some ways being comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and being open to new learning experiences that will give you those skill sets that are a unique combination that other people might not necessarily have. I mean, that's part of why I do these, right? When yeah. I first started and got this job, I hated doing public speaking events. And so you make it a commitment. Like I'm gonna do one every month until I doesn't feel like this horrifying, terrifying thing to do. 
and it doesn't anymore. So in case anyone's wondering, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's part of yeah. it. You know, yeah. you got to embrace the uncomfortable and, and I personally have a lot of curiosity about lots of things. So I love learning about lots of different things and I will not master them all, but there's a few that I will choose to try to master. So you talk about the evolution of the culture of basketball that you witnessed and a lot of it has been, a lot of it has been about the internal culture changing as well. When you took on the role as managing director at NBA Canada, what kind of vision did you have or what kind of impact did you want to make that was not necessarily already there or was not strong enough and didn't have enough of a, of a presence, I guess? Well, I mean, I've been there when I got the job, you know, 15 years. So I had felt like a lot of the things I'd wanted to do had happened because I'd been on the leadership team already. So I'd say there wasn't like one, you know, giant thing that I really wanted to do. There were some things I wanted to, to change and do differently. I happened to take over right after the Raptors won the championship, which is a fantastic <laughs> time to take over. I had had this idea and I'd pitched it before I took the job, but to, to basically have a, a WNBA preseason game. And so we tried because of COVID, we ended up not doing it, but we will do one, uh, which we were really excited about next, next W season. And um, that was something that I thought was really important for us to do. And I think that the market's at a place now where women's sports are, are getting a lot more consideration than they were, you know, 15 years ago. In some ways, I see a lot of parallels to the kind of business response I was getting 17 years ago when I started at the NBA to the WNBA today. So that is really exciting for me because I can just see the, you know, we've had exponential growth on NBA and I can see us mirroring that on W over the next decade. And that's really exciting for me. I'm really inspired by all of our athletes, but our WNBA athletes in particular are just absolutely incredible humans. So yeah, that's exciting. And when you say growth and a lot more consideration, do you mean in terms of fan base growth, marketing opportunities and sponsorship opportunities, both things? Across all of those things. So people that say they're a fan, people that watch the games, brands that spend money with us, merchandise that we sell within Canada, folks that follow us on social media, all of those metrics, all of those kind of things we can track, all of those have had exponential growth and that's incredibly exciting. Mm -hmm. Now, when you when you hear a word like innovation, how does that fit within the NBA Canada? How does what does innovation mean to an organization like yours? So innovate with intention is one of our four values at the NBA. And what it means is is essentially being thoughtful about what are we trying to innovate. It isn't just innovation for innovation's sake, but you know, what is the kind of end goal that that results from it? So some of you may have seen, but we, we launched um, year two of MBA Launchpad last week. And that is a program where we work with startups and, you know, either PhD candidates to work on um, solutions around our games. So last year was all about ankle injury prevention. And we wanted folks to help us create solutions for that, that we could eventually monetize through our teams and, and other, you know, general business. This year, we're focused on three different things, including some business things. One of them that's really cool from a business perspective is just the in-seat experience. So when you're at a live game, how do you make that in-seat experience more compelling? If you're watching a game remotely or via stream, how do you make that more compelling? So there's a whole bunch of really cool opportunities where we look not just within the NBA, but to third parties, to places where we can take equity stakes, where we can incubate talent, et cetera. And so um, there's a lot of opportunity within just the concept of innovation, and we look at it differently depending kind of which of the many verticals we're talking about.
I want to rewind because you you mentioned that you um, took on the role right around the time of the NBA championship, bringing it home to Canada uh, and to Toronto. And then, of course, we go into 2020 and you go from this like really incredible high to this kind of unprecedented time, the pandemic and what that meant, what sports meant and what the culture of sports meant. How did you navigate that experience in that new role relatively um, and, and understanding how you wanted to cultivate the the experience for, I guess, players and fans and, and also partners? So it was a really difficult time at first from the standpoint of I was still kind of getting my sea legs in the role, but also, you know, we were all of a sudden at home. I have two kids. So one of my children was in junior kindergarten at the time, trying to virtual school a someone who can't read is really, really hard. Um, and that was basically hellish. Like I remember uh, at some point doing a call from like the inside of a closet and I was just like, I don't know what they're doing. I threw snacks at them and the TV is on. Like it was bad. Um, and there was that element, you know, trying to figure out how do we take game production, what used to be a whole bunch of people in a live truck to a whole bunch of people's homes and, you know, figure out bandwidth and, and figure out all of these uplink, downlink, things I never wanted to know I learned <laughs> during this period. And then there were the benefits of it, which was, you know, I was on this international leadership team. Um, before the pandemic, all of our calls were audio calls, so conference calls. So picture joining a call with six men you don't know who's talking at any point. People are frequently talking over each other. And then the call ends and you're a bit confused. Like you're like, I yeah. don't know who said what. I'm not really sure who that update was for. Um, I don't recognize anyone's voices yet. This is really awkward. Yeah. Not sure what I'm supposed to say on these calls. And then all of a sudden they went to Zoom and you could see everyone, you could see everyone in their homes. People were all of a sudden so much more empathetic because they recognized like you could, my kids joined half of my calls. Like it was, got to be ridiculous. My, my boss is the deputy commissioner. And I remember the first time I was like, my youngest son like climbed on my lap in the middle of a call. And I was like, um, I'm mortified. And he's like, Hey buddy, how are you? And I just like a good reminder that we're all human. A humanizing experience. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. So yeah. there's some really great parts of it. It was really hard, but it was not what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think everyone can definitely <laughs> attest to that. Um, and community is such a big part of sport. Mm. Um, whether you talk about the fan experience or, you know, athletes talking, uh, the shared experience that athletes go through as well as management, what are your goals around building and cultivating a passionate and an engaged fan base? Because there's a lot more competition to get people's attention, to get people locked in and engaged. So how do you do that now in this era? I mean, that's a huge part of what we do every day, right? Yeah. Trying to, to drive new fans, to get them further into the fandom funnel. You know, there's an example maybe I could share from, from last season. So last season was our 75th anniversary, and we wanted to share the history of all the moments in Canada's history that, the, that were relevant to the NBA and celebrate them with fans. But, you know, we're trying to make sure it was relevant for both that avid core fan that probably knows all of these moments, like has you know, can recite the stats tied to them. And then also for sort of the casual fan that, you know, learned to love the NBA maybe during the Raptors run, but don't have a deep history or tie. And so we were trying to make it relevant to both. And we decided we would take 13 moments in the 75 year history that were, you know, tied to the NBA and make physical products. So limited run, 75 units of each thing. We created them, we sold them. We sort of tried to replicate the shoe drop on online. So you know, get your moment of history, take it home, be part of, you know, the NBA's 75 years. 
And that was for the avid fan. For the casual fan, we made 130 pieces of content. And so we put those out on social media. We put them in TV. We put them, we did, Ashton, who's in the room, did a massive earned media campaign so that folks would learn about these moments in history to be proud of. And, and so that was an, an example where, you know, it was, it was successful because we're always trying to kind of skirt that line of how do you overserve your most avid fans, but then also give casual fans enough to make them want to come like lean in and do more. Right. You know? Right. Celebrating your super fans, as we call it in our in our office, but also, you know, trying to to engage with the people that you can turn into super fans as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's our every single day challenge and it's something that lights me up. What kind of responsibility do you think an organization like NBA Canada has to its community and what kind of commitment do you make to you, yourselves and, and the community? So I think we have a huge responsibility because, you know, professional sport means more than it should maybe in some ways. You know, I, I always kind of joke with my team when things get tough that at the end of the day we work around a child's game and we should kind of keep that levity of this is play and, and that is something that helps kind of take the rough moments and make them lighter. But when it comes to community, there's really three things that we're focused on. You know, we're focused on mental health. So, you know, during the pandemic, mental health was a huge um, piece, but it's always been there and it's something that folks don't talk about quite enough. And so we have partnerships with, you know, whether it's Bell Let's Talk Day, our Mind Health website, or um, Kids Help Phone. That's one of them. The other one um, that, you know, is, is I don't want to say newer, but it is newer, is really um, a commitment to economic equity. And that one's really about changing the face of our industry. So it's about providing paid opportunities for folks to work with an MBA brand to increase their opportunities to drive um, business. And so taking folks that are underrepresented at that first rung of employment, um, mostly creatives, and trying to build their portfolios by giving them MBA you know, commissions. And that's something that we're really proud of and something that we think is really exciting because that's fun work that we do anyways. Um, and then the third one's legacy projects. So that has come to life often through court refurbishments or other places where, where kids can play. Um, and so those are kind of the three areas where we spend our time. Uh, we're a pretty small office still. We're only about 21 people. And so we have a limited amount of time and mm. uh, we want to spend it in places that we think excite our team, but also make us feel proud to work there. Yeah. When I was doing my uh, research for this interview, it happened on an interview uh, that you had had done before. And you mentioned previously that the power of the NBA that sets it apart from other organizations in sports is its ability to change social conversations. Can you expand on, on what that means? I mean, this is part of what made me love the NBA as a kid, too. Um, so I'm the youngest of five kids, which means I never got the remote control. I never got to decide what was on TV. So when I was like five or six, I probably would have picked like My Little Pony or something. But my middle brother was always watching basketball and like would tape the games, watch them again the next day. Like we would watch the same game like four or five, six times. Right. So you ended up kind of like I learned a lot about basketball without sort of intending to when I was really young and then realized I liked it. Like it was kind of like, oh, I actually like basketball. Um, because I was a bit of a girly girl. I don't know if I would have leaned in that hard um, had it not been for my brother. Um, and it was during that time when, you know, I will never forget sort of the press conference of Magic Johnson saying that he was HIV positive and, you know, David Stern like hugging him and, and saying, you know, we're going to find a cure for this in, my, in our lifetime. And it was such a powerful moment. And I, I remember I was a kid, but I remember watching it and thinking like, wow, 
they just did something that no politician could do. They just, mm -hmm. they just changed the whole narrative about this very serious issue in such a, a way. And I think, you know, we've seen that happen again. The NBA has been a leader through COVID. I think they were a huge leader, um, you know, through, through much of social unrest and change that happened a couple summers ago. And that's something that is the kind of responsibility that I think that, that we all feel. So not just employees of the league, but also, you know, the players, um, the coaching staff, everyone. We all understand that it's more than the game. And that's something that's really special and, yeah. you know, gives you meaning to keep coming back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are definitely those who would be, I guess, would be purists and say that sports should be its own arena and it should be a vacuum and nothing could, you know, politics should not intersect with it. And then obviously we've got a long track record of where politics and culture intersect with sport. And there's a larger conversation to be had about equity, about, you know, things like we're dealing with today, like the pandemic, uh, social movements, Black Lives Matter. So what are the conversations that you're having today that are really important to you as an organization and also you as the leader of that organization? I mean, with our staff, we're, we're very open and we provide a lot of space for people to kind of express their personal feelings because we think that's really important. You know, I think the when we talk about culture, a big change of, of, of workplace culture, I think probably most of us feel is that now there's space for people to bring themselves to work. You know, whereas in, in previous eras, maybe that wasn't there. And, and so we do make a lot of space for that. We take time to learn about things. Um, we're not experts on every issue and, and we, we know we're not. So we invite people in to kind of, you know, explain, uh, help educate us on things we didn't know. Um, I think that most people that are aware of all of these issues that have been happening have had to do a fair amount of, of relearning or unlearning, you know, things that maybe they didn't learn in school. And so... We've taken that approach as um, as we every holiday that comes up, you know, whether it be Juneteenth or National Indigenous Peoples Day, you know, we've been looking at, you know, what did we not learn about and who didn't we celebrate as kids growing up that we should be? And like we've researched that and then presented it to each other and, you know, things that are not tied to our direct uh, metrics, but that matter to our, our objectives and our, our worldview. And then we've done um, some very explicit partnerships where we're helping nonprofits um, promote themselves and sort of drive awareness. And so we focused on areas that are closer to our industry. So we focused on the standard, which is uh, for black women in marketing. Mm -hmm. um, we focused on WISE, which is women in sport and event, the Black Talent Initiative. We've created a one-year internship so folks can learn all about the industry of sport, meet all of our connections, and then graduate on to a full-time job. So our first uh, graduate actually has a full-time job at FanDuel, which we're incredibly excited about. And I'm like really proud of that one because I absolutely loved our candidate. We wanted him to work for us full-time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we offered him a full-time job and he turned me down. <laughs> Wow. And I'm proud because he turned me down because he was like, I really want to work in social media and this job's in merchandising. And I've learned through this, this one year project that like merchandising is great, but like, this is my passion. I want yeah. to be in social. And I was like, the fact that you have the confidence to just be like, sorry, MBA, I don't want you. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I've never been prouder. <laughs> and, and it was like, that I think is, is life changing. Like, like that Very is rewarding. something that is, is yeah, for both of us, like, yeah. and, you know, and, and so, yeah, our, our newest candidate just started and, and it's just an incredible way for us to use in very small doses, but the influence that we have to make, you know, a positive impact. Yeah, very rewarding. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the first woman to be in the role, your role at the NBA uh, Canada. 
but there's still a lack of representation when it comes to women in senior leadership roles across the board, not just in NBA Canada, but you know, organizations in general. How can organizations like NBA Canada do a better job of hiring and promoting into these roles? Because it's proven and it's a, a well-known fact. It doesn't need to be kind of, I guess, proven, but you know, the more diverse people you have on your team, the more diverse perspectives you have, and the more diverse ways that you're able to tackle problems and also build a business. So, um, yeah. I think that people need to have explicit people goals in the same way that you have business metrics. So, you know, um, one of our people goals is to be representative of the city of Toronto. And so um, we have 60% women in our office, um, and we're not quite, but we're almost at 50% people of color. So that's the goal, is to be representative of the city that we're based in. And it doesn't happen by accident. You have to be purposeful, so mm -hmm. about both where you're searching for candidates, where you're asking for resumes, where you're networking. Um, it can't all be the same types of places. You can't be hiring people from all the same schools. Like it is, you actually have to try hard to get there. Um, and I think that's where some companies fall off, is they're just or don't have the time to put in the effort. I don't know, I don't think it's that much effort. And then once you have a diverse team, you're also getting you know, other organizations and groups and things brought to your attention that maybe you didn't know about, and that is fantastic. And so um, I think you, you have to really plan for it. I also feel like differentiated development is a great idea, and it's something that we have been testing at the NBA. And so what that means is, so I'm sure lots of companies have you know, employee resource groups for, for various you know, affinity groups. Um, we have probably all of them you can imagine. There's a women's group at the NBA. I've belonged to it you know, forever. Um, but they offer specific training courses, connections that help you understand as a woman, like what are the things that you may not naturally want to do because you're socialized differently than men are. And then similarly, you know, we have a program. One of the women on our team is, is in the McKinsey Black Leaders Program. And so that's specifically tied for um, black women to take them through to the next level and aim to get them promoted and, you know, arm with them with the skills for management. Uh, we have a similar program in place for, um, for Asian folks. And then um, we're, we're testing another one that's really a, a sponsorship program that's intended for women at the VP level to try to get them to the stage where they'll be at, you know, the, the kind of reporting into the deputy or commissioner. Yeah, so, and decision-making roles that can then have a ripple effect downwards mm -hmm. as well. But it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's work worth doing as- Absolutely, know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, obviously the world of sports offers a lot of great lessons in, in leadership, both on the court and off the court or the field or the rink. What, from your experience, is an example of great leadership? What does that mean to you, whether you're seeing that being embodied through and manifested through an athlete or someone on your team? What does that look like to you? And what's the, the common denominator? So I've always respected and admired leaders that listen at the front end, um, that really understand sort of what's happening on the shop floor, for lack of a better term. You know, have and have the empathy to put themselves not just in sort of their employees' shoes, but all of the stakeholders that might be. Because you know, sometimes as a leader, you've got to make a decision that's not going to make everybody happy. You mm -hmm. should know how, what the ripple effects are going to be for each of your stakeholders before you kind of get there. And um, folks that have that ability to kind of put themselves in context and empathy, I think, are really interesting and special leaders. But um, I also really respect a leader who just gets out of the way. 
Like mm. when you know your people know what they're doing, like just don't let them go. Let and, them do. Yeah. 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 And you see that sometimes on the playoffs, like when things get nutty, like coaches are just like, we're just going to let them play through this. Right. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. as you've navigated your career to understand your voice, your values and the impact that you wanted to make, you know, did you have a good idea of that at the, at the start or has that been a journey to understand what's important to you and how you want your voice to be heard? So I think I was really fortunate. In my early twenties, I got involved in this mastermind group. So it was eight women from totally different industries. We were all in our early twenties and then a business coach. And we met every month for two years. There was programming. So it was, you know, exactly that discover what are your values? How do you want to show up and what are your gaps? So if you want to show up a certain way, but you're not there yet, what do you need to do to get there? And I really loved that experience so much that I hired that same business coach when I got to this job and uh, I work with her now. It is a very grounding experience to have someone kind of question all of your assumptions and, and how you kind of show up at work. And so I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the world in the room and, and folks probably do work with business coaches to kind of help them kind of keep them honest, have that sounding board. You know, I think it's been that's been really great. And it's a, a wonderful way to sort of discover kind of those anchor points that are going to hold, you know, be the thing you come back to when you need to make a tough decision. But in terms of impact, I don't think you're ever really done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something you need to keep looking at and you need to evolve as, as sort of the world and, and your experiences evolve. And so um, for me, that's kind of ever evolving. But um, I, I feel like I was really lucky and that I got to it a lot earlier than most do. And I guess, you know, once you set your goals and you surpass them, how do you how do you set the next goalpost? What's your approach to that in, in terms of achieving something and then understanding what the next big milestone is going to be like for you? So I love setting the next big milestone. Like that's probably the thing I look forward to the most. It isn't really the celebrating the milestone that you hit. It's like, what's the next thing? Mm. Because I, I actually love the the creative process of figuring out how am I going to get to something that seems crazy far away. And so that is is very motivating in and of itself. And I'd say it happens almost as I can see the goal coming that we're about to hit. It's like, okay, what are the next five things? Yeah. And then it's more about, you know, what's my influence plan to get enough people on board to make this thing happen? Um, how do I get staff to buy into it? Like, you know, all of those things. And, you know, building on what we've been talking about, what gives you courage like to stand up for your ideas to say no um to you know make unpopular decisions um scale mountains what what gives you that courage so this question is funny because i feel like i've never lacked for confidence um (laughs) if that makes sense part of it might be I'm the youngest of five kids, right? So I was like forever fighting for attention and, and, you know, consideration. And so you get really used to figuring out how do I repackage the thing I'm trying to get attention for in like multiple different ways until someone actually gives me like pays attention to me. (laughs) Um, So that idea of, you know, maybe not being heard the first time doesn't phase me at all. Like, Mm. it's just like that was, I was born for this. I'm like, okay, I got another trick. (laughs) I'll try something else. Okay, I'm going to look at it this way. So yeah, I don't know that I ever had to like, consciously exercise the courage muscle. I think part of it comes from 
I feel like in the place where I work and the work that we do, I, it's so aligned to my values that it excites me every day. Like it is an effort to get that, to get excited about it. Yeah, yeah. And when we talk about basketball, what is your, your greatest hope for the sport? What are you most excited by or inspired by that's coming up and where you're seeing the sport going? Ooh, a couple different questions in there. I <laughs> am, my greatest hope is that we are more popular than the NHL in Canada. <laughs> um, my thing I'm most excited about is probably the kind of trend towards personalization and the fact that technology is actually catching up to our ambitions of being able to have one-to-one -one relationships with fans. And that is incredibly exciting. If you haven't checked out our new app, we just launched a new app today, mm -hmm. um, the NBA app. And uh, it works with you know artificial intelligence to actually create for you content and take your preferences and serve you the things you want in the time and manner you want them. And that's just the beginning. And so that is super exciting um, to me because I think that's where we've been dreaming about going for a really long time and we're, we're there. Yeah, and I just building on that, like what does the future of basketball look like to you and, and how you're engaging with your community again? I don't think live is ever going away. So, yeah. so live game always happening. We want people in seats. We want people there. The, the crowd matters. I think we learned that during COVID and that we want more of. But there's, there's also this ability to create these very segmented, very specific audiences through digital around the world. So where a small audience may exist in Toronto, there could be a large global audience that we can serve differently. And so we're really testing, you know, a lot of things this year and uh, kind of hoping to learn, you know, which are those things that turn on the segments of our fans that we want to grow. So not just like kids, we're going to have some tests with kids this year, um, which I'm really excited about. I have two kids of my own. Um, and we're going to test, you know, that those different types of fan avidity, um, as well as some of the more casual fans that maybe lean towards fashion, you know, how do we serve them with different content than those that are really into the X's and O's and like the number of assists and, you know, if this player's on the court, then this player really takes off like that kind of level. Cause, cause they're all very different conversations and, and, and we have now found a way where we can communicate those at scale mm -hmm. and that's exciting, but in a one-to-one -one feeling way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have spoken to a few people in this room before this, but you know we have decision makers in the room, entrepreneurs, people who are small business owners, and also work in large companies. Uh, but everyone is is able is either managing a team or in a decision making role. What is your best advice that you have that you can share with other people when it comes to managing a team and and leading a team? I love my team. You have to work really hard to craft your team um, and also be really honest about, you know, what competencies do you need to build and how can you make sure that you're providing kind of projects and work that tie to the things that need to grow. Um, so we spend a lot of time trying to make sure the right work is going to the right people, both for developmental reasons, but also for talent reasons. And so mm -hmm. kind of that mix. I feel like when you're a really strong people leader, you achieve, you know, easily a hundred times what you can achieve on your own because you're you're achieving through others. If you can set a really clear vision and people understand what that vision is, then you can move mountains. And that's something that I've incredibly been impressed by in our own team is that we took on three massive projects last year for the 75th anniversary with 20 people. And we did more work than most could possibly have done, but it was because we made they were fun. 
they were aligned to both what we were good at and they had clear stretch goals for folks that wanted to improve. And so mm. when you kind of line up that special sauce, like you get all this discretionary effort, but you also get like a real feeling of achievement. And I think that people want that in their work. They don't just want to show up and clock in nine to five. Like they want to feel like their time there mattered because yeah. we spend so much time at work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the podcast that we're recording this for focuses on mission and purpose and leadership, which we've covered. But at the end of the day, what is your big purpose and mission through your work that you're doing, but also from a, a personal standpoint? Yeah, so my, my personal mission is to sort of drive results while having fun um, and making a positive impact on others. I like it. Succinct and great straight to the point. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful chat. Very insightful. You know, you're so busy in the weather and everything. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with, with us in the crowd. Um, so thank you, Leah, everyone. Thanks. <laughs> Sports have always been about more than the game or the athlete, more than the fans, the money, and even the glory. It's a combination of all of the above and a bigger discussion that speaks to politics, equity, culture, commerce, and technology. A quick look at an organization like NBA Canada and its leaders like Leah showcases the direct manifestation of these things through a modern lens. In her role as managing director, Leah has a lot bearing down on her shoulders. How do you innovate and move forward without losing sight of your past? How do you set a strong foundation so you can build upwards? How do you create opportunities in your community? Ways to create more seats at the table and an open dialogue around things that matter. Take a page out of Leah's playbook and you'll see that it's all possible if we make a little effort, listen, and let people lead. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?